Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. Hi, it's Jeanette here. If you're enjoying Brave, Bold, Brilliant, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends and leave a five-star review. Let's do it. Here's the show. So welcome to the Brave, Bold, Brilliant podcast. I'm your host, Jeanette Linford, and I'm here today with a public speaker, a master coach, is the one and only Alan Clainhams. Welcome, Alan. Thank you, Jeanette. It's lovely to be here with you. Uh, and I, I'm looking I, you, forward to this chat. Oh, me too. Me too. I've just said earlier before we press record that you're going to make my day. So there's no pressure, Alan, at all. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure I'm going to do my best to live up to that. Exactly. No, I know we're going to have a really interesting, fascinating conversation. And, you know, ultimately this podcast about being brave, bold and brilliant is all around how we be the best version of ourselves. So I know this is right up your street because that's what you've done yourself and also what you help so many other people uh, be. So it's going to be a good discussion, Alan. Um, so, and I pronounced your surname correctly. You did. You did. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lucky shot. A lucky shot. No, but it's great to have you um, have you here on the podcast and also anyone that might be watching on YouTube, actually, because we also show these on YouTube. So, Alan, you and I met through Clubhouse, actually, about a year ago, I think now. Um, so uh, it's about it's, it's, it's probably about uh, eight months, actually. Um, Eight months. I mean, yeah. I'm impressed. I'm impressed with your attention to detail. You're counting the months since we met. I think this is a good sign. <laughs> yeah, because I, I remember I only started using. I only started coming on. I only came on Clubhouse in April. Oh, okay. I only really met you. I think it was in in May or June. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's me taking it as a personal compliment. It was just that's when you started on Clubhouse. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Right. Brilliant. So what we're going to do, Alan, if it's okay with you, um, it'd be good to get a little bit of a backstory for sort of where life started for you, you know, where you're from, how life has evolved and where you are today. And then we're going to have a really interesting chat from there. All right, cool. Um, Well, listen, obviously I grew up in South Africa. Um, I'm sure people who are listening now to me for the very first time can tell that I'm South African and not Australian. Um, I like to make that joke often from the stage. Um, and because I often get you know mistaken for Australian, so I grew up in Durban on the east coast of South Africa. Uh, beautiful city, you know, beautiful beaches, uh, warm weather, mountains, you know, wildlife, gorgeous place. Uh, unfortunately, at the time when I was born in '66, it was a very different place. It's still a volatile place now. It's still got its you know own fair share of extreme challenges, etc. Um, and you know those challenges were obviously very obvious and very rough in, in the 60s when I grew up. And I grew up right next to a police station, which I, you know, was a very interesting education for me, as you can imagine. And, um, you know, I was, um, you know, found my way onto the wall one day and happened to look into the police yard next door and, and saw some very brutal and horrific, um, you know, experiences and, um, you know, occurrences in that police yard that really just... Um, it was really when I began to feel unsafe for the first time in my life, you know, you know, as a kid, when you just, you just play, you're going about life, you know, life is great. And then suddenly something happens, you know, and uh, suddenly, you know, you feel unsafe. And that was the moment when I began to feel unsafe. And, um, you know, from there, we moved away from that area and we moved into a better location, you know, you and property yourself, you know, location is important. And uh, we upgraded in location. However, we were still, in um you know in the city and uh, there were challenges you know and uh, you know south africa had its uh, you know it was it was very racist at the time obviously and um you know living um you know as an only child with two parents who were very liberal always reminded me that you know you should always judge people by their character not the color of their skin so my parents were very good like that and um i went to two private schools uh, both very expensive um both uh, religious christian schools and um you know i was an academic the second school was a boarding school and, um, you know, when I came out of boarding school, I just made it through school. I just failed my way through school. Uh, I like to joke that I got an E for enough, <laughs> and, uh, you know, not being not academically minded. I couldn't get into university. So I had to go straight into the military. It was compulsory at the time. 
and I was in the military for two years. It was a very, very extensive training, very intensive. And, um, you know, I was sent all over the country at the time. In 86, there was a state of emergency in South Africa, and I was sent down into, into Cape Town, into the crossroads area, which was a very, very, and still to this day, is a very, very volatile area. And, uh, you know, you've got over a million people living in squalor in this area. And um, there's, a, there's, you know, there's a lot of uh, brutality, a lot of violence, a lot of death. And um, the military was sent in there in 86 because the police refused to go in there. So that was a very interesting experience for me. And I use those words, you know, um, I, you know, I choose those words very, uh, you know, gently because, you know, it wasn't, it was, it was something I'd never, ever seen before. You know, I'd, uh, you know, in South Africa, we, it's, a, it's, it's been very common through the years of South Africa, through its volatility to necklace people. And, and necklacing means, you know, when people put tires around you and they like the tires, and so I saw that for the very first time firsthand. And it was very, you know, as you can imagine, quite a traumatic experience. And then in 87, my second year in the military, I was sent to Angola. And, um, you know, that was a significant emotional event for me. Now, we all have these SEEs, these significant emotional events that shape us as human beings. And uh, that shaped me uh, as a young man, you know. And I, when I came back from that, I was, um, you know, post-traumatic stress, and uh, which subsequently unfolded for, the, for, for about nine years. Uh, until eventually I got on top of it. I had nightmares for about seven years. And um, I was already smoking marijuana before I went into the army. You know, I started smoking marijuana as a young kid. Um, but when I came out of the military, I was, you know, getting high every day and I was drinking myself to sleep because I, I was having nightmares. And, um, and then luckily about seven months after the military, that was my first introduction to personal development. Somebody, a good friend of mine, uh, he said to me, listen, you know, you, you must read he was in the same military operation as me in Angola, and he was a medivac. He was flying into Angola and, and taking the wounded and the dead soldiers back to the military hospital. And um, we bumped into each other in the street. We hadn't seen each other for a long time. Went up to his place. Uh, we sat in his flat. We talked about everything to do with what we had been through. And uh, he said to me, listen, you know, the best way to take care of what's happening inside of you, you know, inside of your mind right now in, in your, with your emotions, he said is to read. And he introduced me to Think and Grow Rich. And that was July of 1988. And, you know, um, that was, a, the, a, you know, a turning point in my life. You know, I, became, I became a student for the very first time at 21 years of age. You know, and I started to read. And, uh, you know, I haven't stopped reading since. You know, it's been, you know, nearly 34 years now since that experience. And um, in July of this year, it'll be 34 years, you know. And it's been a fascinating journey, you know, and it's led me down um, a road that I never would have expected to go down. You know, uh, I studied psychology, studied human behavior, studied everything to do with trauma and how trauma affects the nervous system. And that's led me to do work with military. I've spoken here for the Ministry of Defense in the UK. Uh, you know, I've worked with military veterans and uh, it's been a fascinating journey, you know. So that's my life in a nutshell. You know, I, I eventually took everything that I'd been reading and studying and I began to speak about it. And I ended up speaking on stages all around the world and I've been able to work with some amazing people, you know, it's given me a fascinating life. You know, I really am very, very grateful for my experience. And um, I've learned a lot in the process, you know, and I've, I've really learned about, you know, what it is to be a human being when you're facing really, really tough times, you know, and I've worked with people who have faced all kinds of challenges. And it's been a blessing, absolute blessing. I'm very grateful for my experience. Wow. I mean, there's so much in here, Alan. And, you know, I mean, a lot of this I never knew, uh, to be honest. So whenever I have these conversations with people I learned so much um and and there's just a few things that are jumping out to me as you're speaking really so, you know from that that position of I guess being a child and looking at I can see you're looking over the police station wall I can actually sort of picture that um at that at that point you know as a child did you you said you didn't really know any different because you were just sort of doing what kids do playing your environment etc but in that split second did you think oh my gosh you know, I could end up on that side of the wall or on this side of the wall. Was that ever, ever a thought in your head um, at that at that point? No, not at that time. You know, I was about four years of age when it first happened. And, I, and, and you know, as it happened, we, we lived in the building right next door to the police station. And there was a courtyard where I used to play after a uh, crash. And in the courtyard, which is about 25 feet long, and at the end of the courtyard was, um, you know, an outside shower where the maintenance man used to shower, et cetera. And, you know, there were a couple of big bins there um, and, and there was a wall. And, um, and so I was able to climb onto the bins and onto the wall and it found a little gap that existed in the wall and that I could look into the police yard. I couldn't see a lot, but I could see enough. You know, the very first time I saw 
uh, which, 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 which actually attracted my attention was a man screaming in the police yard next door, a scream. And, um, you know, I watched, um, you know, I watched black people getting beaten, beaten with, um, you know, with whips. And um, I never thought that what you asked me now, but what I did, what I initially did think was, wow, you know, I was, I can't tell anybody about this because I'll get into trouble. You know, kids, when they, when they get involved in anything that they shouldn't be doing or if they see anything they shouldn't see, they, they clam up, you know, and I clammed up. But I do remember becoming very, very, I felt unsafe and scared, you know, um, and, you know, where I would have maybe looked at the policeman before as, you know, wow, you know, in uniform, you know, with a brown leather holster and a, and a firearm mm. on the hip and, you know, shiny shoes and perfect uniform. Now, you know, when I looked at them, I was, uh, I felt uncertain. I felt afraid, you know, and, and that's been a theme that, that theme of uncertainty or feeling unsafe, uh, it, it, it went through, it was throughout my young life, actually, um, you know, way into my late twenties into my early thirties, you know, where I felt always unsafe, you know, and I was always on edge really, you know? Um, mm. So, yeah. Gosh, that's, I mean, that's a long time, isn't it? Into your early twenties. And, you know, it's very hard for anyone that's not grown up in an environment or, uh, you know, a country like you did in South Africa back then, it's very different now, but still, um, do you, what sort of, you must've learned some survival tactics really, and, and just ways to, if you're feeling unsafe, the natural thing then is to try and make yourself safe, right? Absolutely. With whatever means possible. So can you just talk about some of those aspects that you, you know, I suppose skills that you developed into your early twenties that just kind of helped you survive in a very, very tough environment. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I, that's a great question. I've never had that question before, you know, and I, and you know what I, and I talked to, I've got two teenagers, you know, and, um, you know, I talked to them about the importance of street wisdom as well as, you know, being academic and also being learned, you know, and reading and, and learning, but also being able to look after yourself, you know, really. And, you know, growing up in that environment, you know, I, uh, I spent a lot of time in the streets you know, I spent a lot of time in the city. I spent a lot of time on the beach you know, I was, uh, and especially when I became a teenager and I was never at home. My parents were always at the golf club. My father was a golfer. My mother was a, was a tennis player. Then she became a bowler. Then my father still played bowls. Once he had a false hip, he couldn't play golf anymore. So they were always at the club. My father was the, he was the golf captain. Then he was the chairman. My mother was involved heavily in the, in the, in the committee. So I was kind of left to my own devices and on the beach as an only child every day. And, and, you know, growing up in, in that kind of environment on the street, you know, and it was very, it was brutal and you know, it was rough. There was a lot of, mm. um, there was violence everywhere, really. And so you, you have to have eyes in the back of your head, you know, you have to be, you, you, you learn street smarts, you know, and, um, you know, I was, you know, and then when I came to live in London and I was uh, 23 when I came to live in London and, uh, you know, I, I guess those that, that support that served me well, you know, you heard living in London, you know, because I was, you know, again, I came, I came with a friend and I had friends here, but again, you know, you have to, you, you kind of have to make your way, you know, and I started, my very first job was, was pushing a broom and mixing cement, carrying bricks on a construction site in Liverpool street, getting paid cash in hand under the table, you know, because we weren't allowed to work here at that time. And, um, so, you know, yeah, I, it, it did serve me, you know, you, you, you do pick up, you pick up strength, you pick up, um, you know, a certain kind of intelligence that does serve you, especially in rough times, you know, and I've, I've, I've been through a lot of rough times, uh, when those kinds of, um, that kind of training is, is served me, you know, especially when I came out of the military, I had very, very extensive training, you know, and, um, and that just made me even more, um, I became very observant about my surroundings. I was always aware of my surroundings all the time, you know, um, always aware of exit points, you know what I mean? And, <laughs> you know, just, you know, just, and just being aware, you know, um, and that has served me at times, definitely. But it wasn't until 32, I was 32 years of age, right? when I felt comfortable for the first time, when I began to feel comfortable, uh, I wasn't comfortable fully yet, but I began to feel what a sense of being comfortable could feel like, you know, at 32 years of age. And I've just turned 55 in December. And, you know, uh, just before we started recording here, you know, I told you, uh, you said, I look happy. And I said, you know, I'm actually, I'm the happiest I've ever been ever, you know, I'm in, I'm in a great space, you know, just in every area of my life, you know, life is just very, very good. And, um, and I think I put it down to the fact that I feel very, very comfortable with who I've become and who I am in my own skin, you know, I, um, and I, yeah, I truly feel blessed, you know, and I think it's a combination of all the things that have happened to me, but also 
what I've learned through those experiences and then what I've done with those experiences, you know, how I've turned those experiences into blessings. Because, you know, I, I read something a long, long time ago, and I know we're jumping around here, but, but I read something, you know, in 1988, the very first book I read, Think and Go Rich, right? Napoleon Hill, I know you're a big fan of that book too. And, you know, every, every great success that I've ever met in my life and all of my friends that are very, very successful have all read that book many times and have, you know, have a copy of that book on their bookshelf. And I've got four copies of that book. <laughs> and, you know, uh, when I read that book for the first time in 88, I read that line, every adversity has within the seed of an equivalent or greater benefit. And I was 21 years of age, seven months out of the military, completely, you know, trying to process what I'd seen and done. Uh, you know, I was very ashamed of what I'd done. And um, when I read that line for the first time, my brain said, that's BS. You know what I mean? How can, how can Angola be beneficial? You know, how can the experience that I've just been through beneficial be beneficial? How can seeing my friend die right next to me or having my friend bleeding to death right in my arm while I gave him my own blood, you know, with the back of his head missing, how can that be beneficial to me in any way? Um, but I wrote that line down and I stuck it on the wall because I remember my friend said to me when he, when he gave me the book, he said, read this book. As if, you're, as if the author is sitting opposite you and your life depends on it. He said, this how, that's how powerful and, and important this book is for you. And so I wrote that sentence down. I stuck it on the wall and I contemplated that sentence for, for months and months and months. And now I can tell you, you know, you know nearly 34 years later, you know, I absolutely believe with every conviction, with my hand on my heart, that every single adversity has within it the seed of an equivalent or greater benefit. And it's up to us to really look for the gift in any challenge. And uh, we'll never find it if we don't look. Yeah, no, that, that's brilliant. And you're absolutely right. That is a fantastic read. So anyone that's not read it, highly recommended Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill. You, you're spot on there. And I guess the point here around is, is almost symmetry and balance, isn't it, Alan? Because, you know, you don't have light without dark. You know, you don't have arguably joy without pain, you know, so there is this sort of balance. And I guess that's really, you know, the, the point around what you're saying there, even when the times feel very, very bleak, yes. actually in time, not at the time, but in time, um, that can actually lead to, to benefit into a positive um, state as well. And uh, sometimes it's very hard for people to see that at the time when you're in the emotional of all of that sort of stuff that's going on. But yeah, I think that's a great life lesson for us all there. It's, it's always, it's, it, listen, it's, uh, it's always hard to see it while you're in the midst of it, right? Because when you're in the mm. midst of the darkness, it's very difficult to find the light. Mm. However, you know, it's, um, I was listening to a podcast this morning while I was in the gym and you're talking about the word faith, you know, um, and that's such a powerful word is to be able to have faith while you're going through the darkest time to believe that actually, you know what, what's happening to you right now, even though it's so bleak and dire, there is some kind of benefit to this experience. And, you know, it's either going to make you stronger, wiser, smarter, um, or more you know, resourceful in some way, shape or form, maybe not right now, but at some point in the future, you'll be able to look back and say, you know what, I'm so, you know, if I, if I, if I hadn't gone through that, I wouldn't be where I am now. I wouldn't have learned what I've, what I've learned now. You know, I wouldn't be who I am right now you know, if I hadn't been through that. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, you know, you were talking back about um, your early years at school of not being particularly academic. Mm. Um, did, that actually, has that, did that hold you back at the time or did that allow you to, I don't know, bring out other skills and talents that you had? Because not everyone is academic. Some people are just very streetwise. And that is also, a, you know, a talent and a skill as well, isn't it? You know, it's been... Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it definitely held me back in some way, shape or form at, at the time, although I did develop other strengths, you know, I became, um, you know, I was very, um, I became funny. I became entertaining, you know, um, because I was bullied quite a lot as a kid, right? And I was teased a lot as, but I had, a, I had an unusual nose, you know, and, um, you know, I was told, uh, I was called, uh, you know, names, etc. So what I did was I, I remember telling myself consciously, you know, when I started, when I be, began to be teased, at my first school, I remember he used to tell me, and I told myself the same thing right throughout boarding school. My skin's getting thicker. I'm developing rhinoceros skin. You know, this is going to bounce off me at some point, right? This is not bothering me. But, you know, you know as well as I do, uh, you know, words do hurt, right? And mm. names do hurt. But we just learned to tolerate them over a period of time, and I did. Uh, and what it did was, uh, and then I, I developed this, this ability to make people laugh, and I became funny. And I figured that if I made, if I made the bigger boys laugh, and entertain the bigger boys, then what would happen is, um, you know, then they would accept me, right? 
And that is kind of what happened. I developed these, um, you know, friends with larger boys, older boys, et cetera. And they kind of took me under their wing a little bit and that helped a little bit. And um, so that, yeah, I did develop this, uh, this ability to connect with people at a young age. And I really just, man, listen, like anything else and like anyone else, you know, Janet, I was just craving love. I was initially craving the love of my father, which I never realized until much later um, because my father was a very, very strict man. I was, a, uh, you know, an only child. He was a disciplinarian. And when he sent me away to boarding school, I kind of figured like I was being sent away because I wasn't loved, right? And so I was craving that love everywhere, really, and looking for that kind of acceptance and significance. And it, it uh, you know, sometimes you can make the wrong decisions when you're looking for love and significance. And, you know, I did. And I did make, you know, interesting decisions throughout my life, which got me into all kinds of trouble. But at the same time, it also, it, you know, while I was in those moments of being in trouble, you know, I was also developing the ability to think my way through those situations, right? And I've been in some very, very close situations, some very dire situations where I've been very, very lucky, let's say. And um, it's been interesting, yeah. Wow. Well, you've used the word interesting a lot. <laughs> I, also like to, I also like to use the word fascinating. Yeah? <laughs> Just to mix it up, just to mix it up. <laughs> so, yeah, there's obviously stories within stories here, Alan, but I'm imagining that you've had a very colourful and um, romantic life, shall we say, and relationships through the years from what you are saying. But, yeah, I mean, your point really around we all want to be loved, don't we? We all want to be liked. We're, we're, see we're seeking approval. And, you know, yes. actually, I think once you recognise that, you, you can over time realise that actually the most important uh, person that really loves you is yourself. You've got to love yourself, right? Um, and, and I know that's sort of, you know, something that I think you talk about quite a bit in, in your public speaking and your coaching. So I mean, all of this has been the layering. It's like building a house, isn't it? All these bricks of your life, you know, it has ended up with sort of where you are today. And I love that, um, you know, sort of out of adversity, uh, you can achieve great things as well and, and inspire others. So I just wanted to come to... Um, the public speaking, because when we started, I said, well, how do I describe you? Because I have master coach down um, as the, the the sort of the initial introduction. You said, well, actually, public speaking is what you're known for first. And then, of course, the coaching second after that. Yeah. So public speaking, just share with us, if you don't mind, Alan, some of the some of the gigs that you've done, the people that you've been on stage with, because you have been alongside some incredible people, haven't you? Which really demonstrates, you know, your credentials and all kudos to you that you hold the stage with those kind of people. So just talk us through some some of those those icons of public speaking that you uh, hold great company with, shall we say? Yeah, no, I've been very, very blessed. Uh, I've spoken at the NAC, the National Achievers Congress. I think you know what that is, and that, you know that's run by Success Resources. And um, you know, I spoke uh, on the you know the same stage as Grant Cardone and Gary Vaynerchuk and Tony Robbins. And and you know, uh, I remember when I spoke at the NAC and Tony was speaking, and I was speaking at the same event, and uh, I got a chance to have a chat with him after his after he had uh, delivered his presentation. And um, we had a photograph taken and we had a chat. And by that stage, I was already, you know, uh, one of Tony's, in, in Tony's uh, leadership program. And I, I was one of Tony's trainers. And I've been a, with Tony for 22 years. You know, it's been a, it's just an amazing journey, you know. And um, started out as a student of his work, obviously, read his books, listened to his tapes, then listened to him on CD, DVD, and then started going to his programs. And then many years later, you know, as a trainer. And uh, I remember speaking at that same event. And I think, gosh, you know, I'm... I'm I'm, I'm at the NAC and I'm sharing the stage with, with the headliners like Tony Robbins. And I was, it was, you know, it was like a dream come true. And I thought, wow, you know, I never, I never even, you know, I never even thought that, that, that wasn't even something that I even visualized in my past. I just, all I wanted to do was just, you know, when I started speaking, uh, it was back in, you know, 2000 was the very first time I ever did a talk in London. And I wanted to be a speaker from 1994. Really. I wanted and I didn't think of myself as a speaker in 94. I just wanted to be a facilitator. That was my first initial you know, desire. I wanted to be a facilitator. I wanted to facilitate transformation for people because I was a student and going through all these workshops. And at the time I was going through Landmark. And I think you're familiar with Landmark education. And I was going through Landmark education. I did all of the curriculum for Landmark and I trained to be a forum leader for Landmark. And, and, I, was go and I actually helped to establish Landmark in South Africa 
and helped to um, initiate the very first landmark forum in Cape Town in 1998 of October. And uh, I mean, beautiful, amazing memories, you know, of transformation and, you know, just being, you know, witness to amazing transformation. But at first, I just wanted to be a facilitator. I wanted to be the person who was helping people to facilitate their own growth and transformation. Uh, and then, you know, then I began to get into speaking in a big way from 2000. I, I began my first talk and I became really just addicted to uh, the opportunity to get on a stage and just to share my story because I, I was beginning to have an idea that my story was, my story was very uh, inspirational for other people. And at first I was just learning how to share my story. And as I developed and evolved as a speaker, you know, I was getting invited to more and more wonderful opportunities to speak. And then when I came back to live in the UK in 2008, because I went back to South Africa for about seven years, and that's where I actually initiated and started my own speaking and coaching business was in January of 2001. Sorry, in January of 2002. And um, when I came back here in 2008, and then I began to go internationally and, and get invited to speak in places like Russia and Romania and, uh, you know, all across Europe. Uh, and it's been a fa and just an amazing journey. I've, uh, I mean, I've spoken to, you know, I think the biggest audience I spoke to was about uh, 4,700. Um, wow. And, um, you know, I mean, it was amazing, you know, just amazing. I've spoken to, you know, huge audiences, 2,700, you know, 3,000, you know, 1,000. And it's, even if, but even if it's only five people, Jeanette, you know, I don't mind, right? It's just the opportunity to interact with another human being and to, to have an impact on another person and also to learn from the other person. Because I think that, you know, the smartest people on the, uh, the smartest people I've ever met, they make everybody around them a teacher and a student, right? We all are students, mm. and students at the same time. We're all learning from each other. We all have unique experiences. You have ex unique experiences that I can learn from. And I have unique experiences that you can learn from. And when we get that opportunity to share with each other, uh, then, then amazing things happen. And that's what happens when you spend time on a stage for a period of time, you know? And I like to spend long periods of, of time on a stage, you know, like at least a day, maybe three days, even four days. I've got a workshop that's four days long. Um, and and it's, it, a beautiful thing happens in that experience. And that's, you know, that's always been my most, my, my biggest passion is speaking. And, um, you know, I've delivered, I don't know how many workshops and presentations, but I just absolutely love it. It's the place that I feel most comfortable, which is, which actually still blows my mind because if I think of myself as a kid, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I was terrified, right? Terrified to, to even, I, if people looked at me, I would be immediately thinking, oh my God, they, they probably think I'm ugly, right? Or they, they're talking about me, right? I'd be so self-conscious. Uh, but that's the place that I feel the most at home, right? Um, because I just love people so much. And I also remember that I've been through such tough times and everybody's facing their own battles, right? Everybody's going through a tough time. When we meet people, we always have to remember everybody's going through a tough time and we don't know what that is. And you can really make a huge difference to somebody just by interacting with them, just by smiling at them, just by engaging with them, you know, and having a small conversation. And sometimes even just smiling at them can change someone's life, you know? And, uh, you know, that person might be thinking about doing something terrible. You know, they might be thinking about taking their own life and then they interact with you and suddenly they're thinking, oh, right, you know what? I'll stick around for another day, you know? Yeah, no, that's incredible. I mean, you just light up when you talk about this stuff. You can just see, you know, you exude in the positivity and the energy. It's uh, really quite incredible. And, you know, it's funny, isn't it? Because, again, coming back to this idea of <coughs> yang, you know, shade and, shade and light, what, what to you when you were your, your younger self would have been filled you with dread now fills you with joy. Mm. Um, and that the actual kind of irony and the contrast of that is quite beautiful, actually. There's a symmetry to it. It's uh, yes. that, that's really, really lovely. But for a lot of people listening or watching, they'll be thinking, oh, my God, the thought of getting up on stage and speaking in public, I would rather die than do that. I mean, literally, it is the mo one of the most feared things to do, isn't it? So... In terms of how you got over that or tips that you could share with people to gain confidence speaking, what, what, are, the, what are the sort of some of the simple things that are the most powerful to help people if they do want to become a public speaker, but are quite frankly scared of even trying? It's a, that's a, I love that question. And, you know, I say to people all the time, if you're terrified of speaking, that's a very good indication that you should actually just engage in maybe even just Toastmasters, you know, just 
you know, just somewhere where you can go and get on a stage and practice speaking to a group of people. Because even though you're terrified of it, what it does is it, if you, if you engage in that activity, then it's going to grow your confidence in so many different ways. And that confidence will, will permeate into all areas of your life, you know, into relationships, into your business. And it just changes who you are. Uh, you know, there's no doubt about it. One of the most powerful things that people can do is to learn to speak in public because they forget that they're speaking all the time. You know, they forget that we, we are, we, we are kind of speaking in public all the time. You know, it's just a difference is you speaking to one person rather than speaking to a hundred, you know, and the hundred people seems that much more terrifying because now you've got a hundred pairs of eyes on you and they're all on you right at the same time. And what that means is that people then suddenly think, oh my God, I'm exposed. I feel naked, right? Um, they're going to see something about me that I don't want them to see. That's what everybody fears. And uh, it, it's crazy because what, what that, what, that's an indication of the fact that most of us are, we, we're not comfortable with who we are, you know? It just really, what that does is it exposes that we are not, we haven't got to the point where we are comfortable with who we are. Because when people are comfortable with who they are, it doesn't matter, you know, who's looking at them. You know, it doesn't matter your way you show up. You know, you can walk into any environment and you can just be comfortable in that environment and you can engage in conversations with people, you know, like for instance, in a restaurant or, or wherever, you know, in a networking event, you know, in, in a property event, perhaps, you know, you know, you walk into a room on your own, you know, most people walk into a room on their own and they think, oh my gosh, you know, who do I, don't, who do I speak to? And they look for the safest person to speak to, right? Rather than just walking in and saying, Hey, I wonder who am I going to meet here today? I wonder what's going to happen, right? I wonder how many wonderful things are going to occur in this, in this, in this particular moment, right? And just being like, you know, having that, um, that curiosity of a child, you know, because all children are not afraid, right? Children, children are not afraid until they get to a point where they become afraid, where suddenly something happens and they learn to become afraid or they, or they, they get taught fear. We get taught fear from a young age, but prior to that moment, Children interact very easily and freely and effortlessly. And essentially, all of us as adults are just those children looking to, you know, just to engage in a, in a, in a, in a way with, with curiosity and awe. And we forget about that because now we've got all these limiting mental constructs, you know. So yeah. for somebody who's afraid of speaking, then I would say engage in a Toastmasters club. Find somewhere where you can go and practice and get on stage I say Toastmasters because I started with Toastmasters and Toastmasters, you know yourself, it's a very structured environment. It's a very structured process where you start from zero and then you, you get the steps and, and the steps, you take them as slow or as fast as you want to, but it gives you a good structure. And then you get to the point where you develop confidence and then you might want to go in a different direction. But that's a great place for people to start. And I would say if you, if you recognize that you have a fear of speaking, that's a very... That's a very good indication that you need to actually step through that fear and go and do something about it because it'll, the confidence that it'll give you in every area of your life is amazing. Yeah, no, there's so much, so much value in this, uh, in this conversation, Alan. I mean, you know, I, uh, I also think that it, there's a part around getting your head around that people are going to judge you anyway. So that's just human nature, right? And if you, once you accept that, and you want to stand for something that's important to you, if people like you or, you know, they resonate with you, then that's great. But for those that don't, that's also fine. And I think once you realize that, instead of worrying, what will people think? What will people say? Actually, just go with it because they're going to judge you anyway. So you may as well put your best version of yourself out there that stands for something that's important to you. And then, you know, your tribe will, will come where you are, um, I think, as well, you know? Absolutely. And you know, that's a good point that you make there because when you say people are going to judge you anyway, but we forget that people inherently, we love to be inspired, right? That's just part of who we are. We, we, you know, we, we all, most people, when they see something inspirational, when they see somebody being authentic or when they see somebody being, you know, just um, outspoken in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a beautiful way or just expressing their emotion in a beautiful way, we find that inspiring. So um, it's a good thing to remember that because when people are just being themselves, that's when people are most inspired, but we forget that, you know, and then we get in our head about what people are going to say about us. And we, fo we focus on all the things we're going to do wrong. And then it's much easier to do those things because whatever you focus on, you're going to do, right? Whatever you focus on expands. So if you focus on making a mistake, you're going to probably make a mistake. 
But if you just focus on having fun and just learning something new and in the process, becoming more confident and discovering who you really are and also finding ways to engage with people much easier, much more easier. And um, that just makes life so much more richer, right? Because everything we want comes from other people, you know? Um, you know, everything we need, we have to engage with other people to get it in some way, shape or form. Even if it's just love and affection, we still have to engage with other people. And so learning to engage with other people is one of the most powerful things we can do. And that's the thing that most people are afraid of doing is engaging with other people, you know? And we get taught this when we're young, right? You know, we get taught silly things when we're young and that, that we carry into our adult years that actually prevent us from engaging with other people in a free manner, in an easy way, which is our natural ability. It's such a natural thing to engage with other people. All you have to do is say hello. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Really powerful stuff. And let's talk about um, your time with Tony Robbins because, and you're still, you're, do you still do training with Tony, Alan? I know you're still very close to Tony Robbins. Yeah, we, uh, well, uh, as a trainer, we get invited as trainers. You know, there's, there's, there is a trainer body um, that people who have been through all of the training, et cetera, done all of the programs and then been through the Leadership Academy, et cetera. And there's an extensive process. And then you get invited to events throughout the year and, you, um, I usually try and attend, well, prior to COVID, uh, prior to the lockdown uh, over the last couple of years, I, was, I would attend four or five of Tony's events a year as a trainer. And then uh, it just, you know, it keeps your, it just keeps you sharp, right? And, and there's always something to learn in that environment. Tony's just brilliant. Uh, he's just outstanding as a trainer, as a teacher, as a speaker, you know, as a human being. And, um, and then plus the environment is just full of amazing people. You know, you make amazing friends. I've, I've made so many great friends in that environment over the last 20 years. And so you know, the last one I attended was in November, in last year, November, they did the first live UPW. That's Unleash the Power Within Tony's four-day program. First live one since, you know, um, since 2019. So it was amazing, 8,500 people. And um, I've, I've done a lot of the virtual events throughout the last two years, you know, uh, helped with those events. Uh, it's been an amazing journey, actually. Yeah, I've learned so much from Tony, actually. You know, I, if I can share something with you, the reason I have so much love for Tony, and I mean, I'm not the only one who has love for Tony. He's got fans everywhere, right? Millions of fans. But I have such a deep love for Tony because I, I do see him kind of like an older brother and definitely as a mentor and definitely as a huge inspiration for me. But something happened with me in, at 32 years of age when I attended Tony Robbins for the very first time. And, you know, I, I share, I've shared the story a few times, but not that often. But I was at my very first UPW, Unleash the Power Within. It was in Cardiff, Wales. And I traveled down to Cardiff, Wales on my motorcycle. I borrowed the money to get there. I didn't have the money at the time. I was working seven days a week, uh, you know, 12 hours a day in the bank, in Credit Suisse, in, in um, Canary Wharf. I was extremely unhappy. I was suicidal. I was addicted to cocaine. And I was using cocaine throughout, you know, just about every day, just to get through the day sometimes and working these seven day shifts, you know, these 12 hour shifts. And, um, and I saw this advert in the paper and for Tony and I'd been listening to him on cassette tape at that time. And I'd read his books at that time. I'd read the unlimited power and awaken the giant within it. And it was 1999, July of 1999. I got on my motorcycle, I went down to Cardiff and, um, and I went to see him live four days. And on the third day I had this interaction with him. I got the microphone and I started talking to him and I, and, and I started telling him, I said, man, I've been listening to you for nine years on cassette tape. You've saved my life so many times because whenever I was suicidal, I would listen to Tony. And I said, man, I just, I love you so much. This workshop has changed my life already. It's only day three. I said, we've just had this powerful experience. It's really just shifted me so powerfully. Anyway, I ended up in his arms, right? He came off the stage walking towards me. I ran down the aisle towards him. I jumped from about three feet away, I ran down the aisle and about three feet away, I jumped in, I jumped on him, right? And he caught me, right? And I wrapped myself around him, a big guy, right? Six foot eight. And uh, I remember this is the moment that really shifted me like, to my core, right? Every single cell in my body was shifted in that moment. I had like a spiritual transformation. He grabbed my head with his hands, right? And, and he just looked, Jeanette, he, it felt like he looked right into my soul, right? And he just... I was 32 years of age at the time and was the very first time in my life that I felt unconditionally loved by another human being. I'd never felt that kind of love from before by, by, from anybody, even from my parents. And that was the kind of love I was looking for as a kid all the time, you know? And, um, you know, it was, a, it was just a significant impact on my, on just on my being, you know, on who I was at that moment. And I sobbed, I remember sobbed my eyes out. 
And I remember I cried for about nine months after that. I just, I was, I was, I began to grieve for the first time in my life. I began to really heal for the first time. I had so much trauma that I'd suppressed, you know, since I was a kid, you know, all the things I'd seen, uh, things I'd been around, you know, et cetera. Uh, the friends I'd lost, I'd, by that stage, I'd lost so many friends for various reasons, drug overdoses in the military, car accidents, um, you know, knife fights, et cetera. And, um, and that was the first moment I began to actually grieve and heal, you know, at 32 years of age. And it was a significant moment for me. So I, I, I and, and then that was the decision that I made at that same event on that same day, the same afternoon, I decided that I was going to study everything that Tony taught and I was going to be a trainer at some point in my life for Tony. And I was going to spend as much time as I could in that environment for the rest of my life so that I could keep learning and so that I could keep becoming better and better. So I could keep, so I could learn how to add value. So I could learn how to become someone who added value because at that time in my life, I wasn't somebody who added value. No, I was just, I was surviving. You know, I was just trying to survive. I was in survival mode all the time. And so that was a significant moment for me in my life. And, um, and that's why I have such a, a deep love for Tony and such a deep, deep respect, you know, because it, it was a catalyst that moment was such a powerful catalyst that it changed everything for me. You know, I became sober. I arrived at that workshop four days sober after 18 years of being high and drunk, right? Just about every day, 18 years. And I arrived there four days sober and I stayed sober. And, um, you know, and, and I got clean and I, I changed everything. That weekend changed everything for me. You know, it just revolutionized everything for me. And that was the, that was, it was like a 180 degree turn, right? And uh, that's when everything began to change for me. Wow, that is such an incredible story. Um, it really is. But I suppose it's almost like all those layers were peeled away. You're almost laid bare, really, to a certain degree before you're able to sort of rebuild yourself and become, yeah. you know, the man and the person you are today. I mean, that is... Yeah, and you know, and, and, and it's a good thing you say there. I love the way you said that, the layers were peeled back and I was laid bare. I was, you know, when I stood up and I got the mark, and I, and, I, and, I, and I started talking and I, one of the things I said, I said, listen, you man, I, you know, this exercise that we've just done, I think, have you done UPW? I think you have, right? I've done the virtual, but I'm, I'm going to try and go this year, actually. I want to go into so, yeah. so, you know, that on the day three, we won't tell people what it is, a very powerful experience, but day three is that Dickens exercise. Yes. And I just come out of that exercise and, I, and you know, and I, it, it literally scared me into the present, right? Where I suddenly realized, listen, if I don't make a change, I will be dead. You know, I will, it's just a matter of time. I'm going to die, right? Because I was suicidal even at the time, even. Um, but I remember and I said, listen, you know, there's something inside of me has been festering inside of me that I've buried, you know, for 13 years at that point uh, under drugs and alcohol, which is when I was in Angola and I, you know, I lost friends and I, and I had to kill people. And, um, and I said, you know, I've been carrying that with me, you know, and I've, and I, and I've never really dealt with it, you know. And, uh, and, and I was oblivious to the rest of the room. I was just... You know, looking at Tony, that's all I could see was him and I. And, and, I, and I said, you know, and I said that out loud for the first time in my life where I had said that out loud, you know. Um, and the only other person I'd ever told that to prior to that moment was my father. In 1996, three years earlier, I told my dad um, what, it, what, what I'd been through in Angola, what I'd seen and done, you know. And um, yeah, and it was just, it was, a, it was quite an incredible moment because I, although I was terrified to tell people what I'd seen and done, because I was afraid of the, you know, I was, I was very ashamed and had a lot of guilt. And plus I had a lot of guilt from, you know, South African, growing up in South Africa and, you know, just being part of that system, even though I thought I wasn't. Um, yeah, and there was a lot of trauma there. And when I just shared that, it was kind of like the wall came down, you know, and suddenly there was like a release, you know, and, and, and it, it gave me the opening that I was seeking, you know, that I'd always been seeking, the opening to go in a different direction, that, and uh, that was a significant moment for me. So that's why I have such a, such a huge, profound respect for Tony's work, because I've seen that happen for other people, so many other people in the last 22 years, you know, in different ways, you know, have their own moment where they, the wall comes down, you know, the wall breaks, you know, the dam breaks, and, and suddenly there's a release, and suddenly there's a transformation, and people just, they have a 360-degree shift or a 180-degree shift, and everything changes, you know. Mm. Uh, and that's what we're all looking for. We're all looking for you know, that ability just to forgive ourselves, you know, for what we think we've done wrong, or we're looking for, you know, the forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness of other people that we think we've hurt, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Gosh, I mean, and, you know, this podcast, Brave, Bold, Brilliant, is all about 
how do you push through adversity and be the best version of yourself, whether that's in business, life, career, whatever it may be. And, and I think to be able to be vulnerable and to show that vulnerability, even though you're fearful of it, it doesn't feel, it feels very uncomfortable. I would imagine that felt very, very, very uncomfortable for you. Very, very. But to actually sit with that, stick with those feelings um, and then know that something good is going to come from it. It takes incredible bravery. Incredible bravery. It was, it was uh, you know, when I arrived at that workshop, I, I, it was like I had a sound on my head. Yeah, it said, don't come near me, right? I was a very intense person <laughs> when I was in my, in my 20s and 30, early 30s. I was very intense, never smiled. Um, you know, I was always on edge. I was very volatile and very confrontational. And I was very arrogant. And I was, you know, a lot of my friends would tell you I was a complete arsehole and I would agree with them, you know. But it was because I was carrying so much inside of me um, that I wasn't, that I was just afraid to let other people see, you know. Um, and I think that's the same for all people, you know. That's why I love the work I do, you know. And, and that's why trauma, I've been very fascinated by trauma and the, the effect of trauma on the nervous system. And, you know, that, what you just said now, the, the, the name of your podcast, Brave, Bold and Brilliant, you know, it's such a powerful name that I love that because what prevents people from being brave is the fear that they have about what other people will say if they find out what they have inside of them or what they've yeah. done or what they might have done wrong, et cetera, or, or the failures, the so-called failures, you know, um, that, that society has placed on us, you know. Um, and when, when you are brave and when you are authentic, it generally does inspire other people to do the same thing in their own life. And that's what we all need to remember is that we all, you know, we're so much more similar than we are different, you know? Mm, I, I know. And that's it. And I think that, you know, the, the strife of perfection is, is, um, is dangerous actually, because we're all perfectly imperfect, aren't we? hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Um, and, and almost, I think, I think, you know, you sharing your story like this is, it almost gives other people the permission to do the same, even though they don't actually need permission, but in their mind, they may think they need some kind of permission or affirmation that it's okay. Uh, so you sharing this is, is incredibly powerful. And, and I feel very humbled by the conversation, to be honest, Alan, I really oh, do. Thank you, Jeanette. You know, let me tell you something amazing too, right? Which just came to my mind when you talked about, you know, when, when you share something, it gives people, other people their permission, right? It's so true, right? And, uh, you know, it reminds me of that sentence, it's that I read and think of a rich, right? Every adversity has within it the seed of an equivalent or greater benefit. And you know, 30 years after I was in Angola in 87, it's 2017 and I'm in Russia, right? And I'm doing a 12 city tour. And it took me about, probably about you know, six or seven weeks to do those 12 cities. I did two, two cities every weekend. And uh, I remember three different cities in Russia in 2017 where the first time it happened, it blew me away, right? But a, a gentleman came up to me in the break and I'd been speaking for about two and a half hours at that stage. And, and usually what I would do at that, I was, I was doing a day of training. And at the end of the day of training, while we were giving people with, the, with local promoters, we were giving people the opportunity to come to Tony's programs because I was out there promoting Tony Roberts. So I'd do a day of content. And the, in the morning, I would tell my background a little bit, right? So that I could get you know, some rapport with the audience. And the first time it happened, it actually blew me away. This gentleman came up to me in a break and he said, listen, you know, I just want to hug you. He, his English wasn't great, but we could communicate. And he said, listen, I just want to give you a hug. And he said, I want to tell you. He said, I was in Angola in 1987 fighting against you. And when I was in Angola in 87 with the South African Defense Force, we were there covertly. Nobody knew we were there. And we'd been there for quite a long time. It was the Angolan War. The Angolan War had been raging for 25 years. It was a terrible war. Millions of people lost their lives. And South Africa was there covertly for many years. And in 1991, it all broke out on the international press. It was on the BBC News while I was living in London. I remember seeing it on TV, right, Angola. And, you know, I was there four years prior to that when it was on the news. And this guy comes up to me in 2017 and says, I was in Angola and we were fighting against Cubans and Russians. And he says, I was there in 2017 fighting against you. He said, I'm so glad that you survived that war and that you are here today and that you told your story so transparently so vulnerably because he said i've never told my family what what i've been through he said you know and i can see that it's that i have a wall between myself and my loved ones and he said you've given me inspiration today to go and back to my family and to begin to let the wall down you know so that i could really connect with them again and maybe share a little bit about myself that they don't know anything you know about wow. and that happened three times on that tour three times in three different cities three men came up to me 
And they told me I was in Angola. And thank you for telling, coming here, telling your story, because you make me realize that I need to be more authentic and more honest with the people in my life, the people that love me, the closest to me, because I've kept them at a distance, you know? And um, I remember the, when it happened, I remember thinking, oh, the first time I thought, oh my God, this is crazy, right? And then it happened three times. And I just thought, oh my, the third time it happened, the gentleman who came out to me the third time, when he told me, I put my head back and I laughed like crazy. And he looked at me like I was a bit nuts. And I said, sir, this is the third time this has happened in the last five weeks, right? And I said, you know, I have to take a photograph. And he, only one of them out of the three let me take a photograph. The other two were still in the military, so they didn't want to, but the one let me mm-hmm. take a photo. And I said, it's, I'm only taking this photo for me, for myself, so I can remember that this actually happened, you know? So, um, gosh, I just thought that was amazing. And then it reminded me that everything is connected, right? There's always some kind of benefit to something, right? Because there's no, I mean, we live in an amazing universe that's it's energetically connected. Everything is one. Uh, yeah. It's all made up of the same atoms, molecules, and electrons. So you never know where you're going to end up in 10, 15, 20, 30 years' time, right? You never know what happened in your past, how it's going to serve you later, even though it was dark and dire. You know, and I've met women who have been through terrible things like traumatic tragic things you know what watching their children get raped you know and murdered you know and then and then and then actually turning that experience into some kind of benefit for other people and themselves like learning to heal learning to talk about it learning to inspire other people who have been through tough times you know mm. and uh yeah it's, it's a fascinating world we live in right when you really start to really understand what's available for human beings inside of ourselves, right? We're always looking outside, but what we really want is inside. Yeah, that's where the power sits. You're absolutely right. And uh, and I think that's the thing, isn't it? That actually, you know, if you show your vulnerability, if you share with other people, it does give that permission that we've talked about. And, and it does inspire you never know who is watching, who is listening, whether it's on social media or just mm-hmm. a glance across a room or a smile can make the world of difference. And, and I think that is, is a great reminder for us all. And also anyone listening, you know, I guess the, the, the lesson for us all doesn't matter what position you're in or, you know, you all have something, you all have a voice, you all have a story, you all have something valuable to share with the world. doesn't matter how big or small that is, uh, but every single one has, has something that's going to help other people as well. Um, Absolutely. I like, to uh, tell people, I like to say to people, you don't have to have been to Angola like I have, but you're also fighting your own war inside your own head. And that's the worst place to fight a war because you're fighting against yourself all the time. So we've all got our own unique experience. Like you say, we've all got our own story. We've all got our own unique life experience where we've experienced things like nobody else has. And that means we can all add value to each other. No matter, you know, it doesn't matter what you've been through. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. No, incredibly powerful stuff, Alan. Gosh, thank you so much for sharing. Oh, I feel quite emotional. I, <laughs> I, do, I do. I feel quite emotional and I'm not a crier, but anyway, I do feel a little bit, a bit of, um, a little bit emotional today talking to you, but yeah, no, it's Emotion's good. It's good to feel we feeling beings, you know, I, yeah. I, I, I think, you know, I tell people, you know, that's probably one of my strengths, you know, that I actually, I'm proud of myself for is that I've, really allowed myself to feel, you know, through my life, to feel my way through my emotions, through my life. And that's what really helped me. I think that's what's really helped me to, to, um, to give up my addictions, you know, is that I was able to feel my way deeply through them. It's only when people don't want to feel what they're feeling that they turn to other things to distract themselves, you know? And that's why it's harder to get rid of an addiction or a distraction. I've done a lot of work around addiction too. Um, you know, it's harder to get rid of an addiction if you're not willing to feel what's showing up, you know? And I think, yeah. you know, you just mentioned it now, you know, feeling emotional. There's nothing wrong with feeling emotional. It's such a, it's a beautiful thing to be able to feel deeply, you know, to be able to mm. cry just because you're overwhelmed with emotion, you know? And that's what a lot of us don't give ourselves permission to do. And that's why we bottle this stuff up and then we become ill. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, given that you've done a lot of work on addiction and you, you've personally been, you know, in those in those very, very dark moments yourself. I mean, obviously, to give advice on things like this is difficult. But are there just a few things that you could share with people who maybe are listening to this that aren't in a great place and are sort of feeling quite lost and alone? You know, what 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 sort of support can you offer um, to, to help them really, Alan? Um, well, I think the, one of the very first things I would say is that, you know, there's always hope, right? Hope floats. You know, that phrase, hope floats, is so true. You must always have some kind of hope. And hope leads to other things. And then just, you know, there's always people who are willing to listen, you know, and, and I think 
that's the hardest thing for somebody. And I remember when I was in a very, very dark place at different times of my life, it was very difficult for me to pick up the phone and talk to someone or to ask somebody just to listen, right? Or to speak to somebody about where I was. And I, and I did a lot of that work on myself, but I also found a lot of solace and a lot of freedom in books, you know? So I, I was a very avid reader. I read voraciously. Um, and, and that helped me a lot too. Um, but I would say to people, you know, if you, you know, if you're in a tough, tough place, remember that this too shall pass. And that's, you know, that's a Buddhist phrase, right? That gets thrown around quite a lot and people forget how powerful it is, but it's true. You know, whatever you're going through right now will pass and you will be in a different place, you know, in some period of time. And you've just got to hang on to where you are right now and just have faith in yourself that you can make it through. And that you that there are people who are willing to listen, and that you can find other answers or different answers in books, um, because books are so full of, you know, so full of knowledge, you know, full of other people's experiences, full of other people's challenges, you know, and how they went through those challenges. So you can find, you can definitely find, um, you know, answers uh, if you're willing to look. It's just sometimes people are not really willing to look, and that's the sad part, you know, is that mm. they're not willing to look or they've given up. They've given up all hope of finding some kind of answer, and they then they, they they slip into a state of learned helplessness, and that's a very that's a tough place to be, you know. I've been yeah. in, I've been in that kind of state, you know. It's not great to place to be, and I'm just thankful that I did remember at those times that this will pass, you know. I just got to hang on, you know. And sometimes I was hanging on with my fingernails, right? But I just kept hanging on. I mean, I procrastinated my own suicide. I think that's the only time procrastination works, right? is when you pull off your own suicide, you know, for the next day, the next day, the next day. And eventually, you know, thankfully, you know, I haven't thought about that for, for a long, long, long time. But at the time, gosh, you know, it's, it's a tough place to be. And I know what it feels like to be alone. And that's one of the pandemics that we face in the world today is loneliness. You know, people feel like they're on their own. But there are always people willing to listen if you're willing to pick up the phone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, and you're, and gosh, I'm very thankful. We're all very thankful that that procrastination in that example of the uh, the hardest example you could possibly give of suicide. Um, you know, you you procrastinated, and we're very glad that you did. Yeah, here. me too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Thank you. absolutely, absolutely. It's the only time procrastination works. <laughs> Otherwise, crack on. Yeah. Otherwise, crack on. <laughs> But not not with that. (laughs) But yeah, you're right. Reach out, reach out. There's always someone there to help and and to inspire and support or just listen. Sometimes people just want to be listened to, don't they? You know, they don't want the they don't necessarily want the advice. They can just process it through themselves sometimes. It's just having someone that actually cares enough to listen. Absolutely. Yeah, very powerful. So Alan, I could chat to you for hours, but I'm very conscious that We've, we've been talking for, for a while. We will have to do a follow-up podcast, I think, Alan. Um, yeah, no, that'd be great. But as you look back over your life, and my gosh, it's been it's been a very rich life in many, many ways. Highs, lows, um, but lots of positives, um, in particular the last the last years that you've been um doing what you're doing. Can you think of any great advice that sort of stands out for you um, that stayed with you for a long time or you that you've put into practice regularly? Yes, that's easy. Um, my dad told me when I was young, he said to me, son, I'm going to give you three rules for life. And he said, if you follow these three rules, then he said, life will be sweet. And he said, rule number one, be kind. And I thought to myself, I thought, okay, that's easy. And, um, you know, I was generally a kind person and I always loved people. Um, you know, and, and so then he said to me, number two, be kind. And I thought, Dad, that's the same thing. So he said, just pay attention. And then he said, number three, be kind. And he said, you get the point, right? He said, these are the three rules that you adopt in life. If you can't, he said, then you don't need anything else really because kindness leads to all kinds of magic. And I never, ever forgot that. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that I've employed throughout my life is kindness. You know, I'm, I'm kind to everybody because I think that everybody deserves kindness and it's a language that everybody understands universally, you know, um, you know, even if you can't, I've been to so many different countries and if you just can't, you know, you can get on with people, even if you can't understand what they're saying. And, um, you know, so that's, that's, I've employed that, you know, to large benefit throughout my life. And I encourage people to do the same thing. And I've taught the same thing to my kids. You know, it's kindness is very, very important. It's very important. It's underrated, but it's extremely important. Yeah, I love that. Often the, the the most simple, straightforward things are the most powerful, aren't they? So yeah, be kind and be kind to yourself as well as others. 
Absolutely. Well, I think it goes, that goes without saying, right? To be kind means to be kind to everything and everyone, including yourself, especially yourself. Mm, absolutely. And can you think of any advice that maybe you, um, that you took that you regretted or advice that was so poor at the time that you ignored and you were very glad that you did? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you, I, I'm glad you pre-framed me about this earlier, right? <laughs> but even when you asked me about this earlier, straight away, I knew exactly what I was going to share. So this, this piece of advice comes from my mother now. So the first one was my mother. Sorry, the first one was my father. The second one was my mother. My mother said, don't talk to strangers. And when she told me that, I thought that's weird, right? Why wouldn't I talk to strangers, right? Because like, you know what I mean? And I think that's, that, I don't think that's a great piece of advice that we give to kids. Don't talk to strangers. Another one is money, money doesn't grow on trees, right? And, um, you know, effectively we know that, you know, you, even though money's changed now and it's become plastic and even, you know, digital to a large extent, um, but, you know, essentially money, you know, does grow on trees because it's paper, right? We have to turn trees into paper. But, um, but th that first one, don't talk to strangers. The amount of people, the amount of adults that are afraid to talk to strangers because they were told when they were kids, don't talk to strangers. And even if they don't understand it, that is in their unconscious. And that's why they're afraid of strangers because that was told to them when they were young. And, and when they were told not to talk to strangers, they were probably told something horrific story about it or something, or they were scared. They were made to feel afraid about talking to strangers. And that's lodged in their unconscious. And that is the worst piece of advice you can give to anybody. You know, you have to talk to strangers to get by in life. You have to. How do you get by in life without talking to strangers? You know? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I never ever listened to that advice. And I always talked to strangers and I always made friends wherever I went. And, um, and I think that strangers are just friends you haven't met yet. So, um, you know, it's good to be smart, obviously, and educate your kids. I'm not saying that, right? And I want to be straight with people. I've got two teenagers. You want to be smart and educate your kids about the dangers of life and, and about how to be careful and cautious and smart and streetwise, et cetera. But, I mean, you should, but, you know, don't talk to strangers. That's ludicrous. I mean, we live in a world where you have to talk to strangers. Otherwise, you can't get by anywhere, right? You know? Yeah, yeah, that's possibly one of the best answers that I've ever had to that question. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I've got one final question, but before I do, um, where can people find you, Alan? Because I know that lots of people are going to want to kind of connect with you and, you know, really engage with you and with all the stuff you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate that, Jeanette. Uh, you can find me on, on social media. I'm on Facebook, on Instagram. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, although I'm not very active there. I'm, I, I've been told I should be, be, start being more active there. I'm um, on all social media platforms in that, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, because you do incredible, incredible work. And uh, if well, actually, not all. Yeah, thank you. Sorry to interrupt you. I'm not all. I just want to say I'm not on. There's certain things I'm not on yet, but I'm on the obvious ones, you know, the, the LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Yeah. There's enough there for people to find you. you. You're not a difficult man to track down, but I would encourage anyone to, to, to reach out to you, Alan, because if anyone has the chance to work with you or to hear you speak, uh, it's, it can totally change their lives. So, yeah, you, encourage people to do that. So my last question, if you will indulge me, Alan, and I know you're going to have a fabulous answer for this one. So the podcast is called Brave, Bold, Brilliant, as you know. So what does that mean to you, Alan? Brave, bold, and brilliant. I love that. Uh, what it means to me is be brave to be yourself, to be your authentic self, to let people see who you really are, to let your light shine. You know, we were all, you know, the fact that we were born is a miracle in itself, right? If you look at the mathematical equation of actually being born, it means that it shouldn't really happen. It's uh, four trillion to one. And um, so being bold means to be courageous, you know, to be bold enough to actually follow your own dream, to follow your heart to do what you really love to do in spite of the fact that other people are going to tell you not to follow your dream, especially your parents. Most parents tell their kids not to follow their hearts. They tell their kids to do the right thing or to do what their parents think is the right thing for them. And I always tell people, you know, and I tell parents too, you know, don't tell your kids that, you know, give your kids the freedom and the, the boldness, give them in, you know, embolden them, embolden them to follow their dreams, to follow their hearts, to follow what really makes them feel alive and passionate. And brilliant just means, brilliant means to shine, doesn't it? Is to shine like a diamond. So, you know, again, is, I love the fact that you're encouraging people to do exactly that, right? To follow their dreams, to be bold, to be brilliant, to be courageous, 
to be brave. And it does take being brave in this world today. It takes being brave. It takes being brilliant. It takes being bold. If you really want to create something in this world that you're proud of, if you really want to create relationships that you're proud of, if you want to create a business that you're proud of, it does take following your dream. And it takes being brave. It takes being bold in the face of dis discouragement or, you know, or negativity or criticism. And we all have to face that. So thank you for asking that question. Oh, you're very welcome. And thank you for coming on, Alan. Oh, my gosh, I'm so happy. Uh, you've made my day. I knew you would, and you absolutely have. And I know that anyone listening to this is going to listen feeling full of joy, energized, passion, and, you know, just knowing there are no limits for them because you've uh, given them the permission and the inspiration that they're probably looking for today. So thank you. Thank you, Jeanette. Thank you very much, my friend. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It's been a, I've thoroughly loved it. I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review.